so I've, as I've been doing this series, I've, I've had something in the back of my mind that, that I wanted to share with you guys about, as I was, you know, kind of working through this series about staying positive in a kind of cynical and jaded world, even if you're not going through a season right now where you feel like you're in a dark spot or you've just earned depression, even if that's not you, you can see that the world around us is changing in such a way that it's so easy to be, I don't know, cynical, just to be jaded, to look around our world and kind of go, there's got to be something better than this. And if that's not you, man, just turn on the news for 10 seconds. The news in 10 seconds will change your outlook into being cynical and jaded like that. And then I started thinking back that our world really hasn't changed that much because I was reminded this week of a, a person, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, everything in his world was jaded. Hey, if you'll remember, not just the, the cartoon version, but even the comic strip version of Charlie Brown, everything in his world wasn't right. There was something about Charlie Brown's world, and, and I think I know what it was. There were no adults outside of his teacher. You ever notice that? If you ever watch, the only adult ever is the teacher. His parents are never there, right? Um, but I start thinking about Charlie Brown. You see, Charlie Brown, even though he saw the world as jaded, he had influencers. People in his world that would give him truth. People that would come alongside him and change his outlook. You know who always had a cheery outlook? Snoopy, his pal and his dog. It, it never seemed to phase him that what was going on in the world. And, and if y'all are like me, I've told you about Super Hank, my dog at the house. Hank does not care what's happening in the world. He doesn't care what's on the news. He is not rocked by scandals. He's just kind of even tilt. Hank is moved by things like this. At our house, I try and keep Hank off the couch. I don't want to clean Hank hair off the couch. I want it when I lay down on the couch for it to be my space. Maybe some of y'all, you, you love your dogs on the couches. That's you. I, praise God for you. I don't want a super Hank on the couch. I've purchased this little plush pillow big thing that takes up some of my, my living room space for super Hank to lay on. I don't want him on the couch. So today, before we left the house, we left Super Hank inside, and I pulled all of our chairs from our dining room set and set them on the couch. Because as much as I love the Super Hank, I don't trust the dog. Because I know, like right now, I, I've got these cameras in my living room that I can see the living room for security. If I would not have put it there, I know where Hank would have been. He would have been on the? You better believe it. Because... While Super Hank is an amazing dog, he also loves the couch. He believes it's his. Now, I vacuum it really good. I'm vacuuming double good because my parents are coming to town. And so I don't want them to even believe that we do have a Super Hank. He needs to be invisible. Although he walks amongst them, I want them to believe he doesn't touch anything. He just kind of makes his way in and out. So I vacuumed really diligently the other day. I mean, I don't know... I've told you on my OCD with my car situation, my car is always vacuumed and cleaned and smelling good. But I pulled the, the, the couch cushions off the couch 
and got the vacuum cleaner and ran them on the cushions. Some of y'all have never done this. This is awesome. It really is amazing. I got all the cushions put back up. I went to put, you know, I went and put the vacuum back up, and I came back. Hank's laying on the couch. I was like, bro, come on, man. You saw what I was doing, and he's like, hey, free game, no chairs. So I set up the fortress before I left. But Hank's outlook is like this. As we were leaving out of the house, he was laying on this cushion that I've, you know, provided for him. And he gave me the look. And y'all know the look. Those of y'all that own a dog. He gave me that look of, we'll see. <laughs> it would not surprise me in the least to get home and the chairs to be in the floor and Hank to be laying on the couch like, what? Should have named me Houdini. I can do all things, right? Our outlook is always dependent upon what's inside of us. You see, Hank doesn't keep a record of politics. He doesn't keep a record of what's happening in our world or injustice. All Hank cares about is this. Did he get fed? Is there a place to sleep? And is April there? Those are the three things in Hank's world that he needs. The rest of us are all, I mean, you can ask the kids. We're there, but it's really April. April and food and a place to lay are Hank's world. And if those three things are there, he's happy. And I think we've hitched our happiness on things that don't matter. Such that when our world shifts a little bit, we are completely ruined by it. And we need to put our hope and our trust and our faith in things that don't move. That are solid. As we look at the church at Ephesus, we, we get they're in the midst of a climate and a time where the world's not for them as a church. Not only have they heard the gospel of Jesus, but even after that, they're hearing other teachings. It's Jesus plus in their world. And so they're getting all these pluses, and, and Paul's having to write them and remind them, hold on to the gospel. Don't, don't add a bunch of other stuff into your following of Jesus. Because when you do that, it's all going to fail on you, and ultimately, so will your faith in Jesus. And so we, we saw that not only is that happening in their world, but they have outside pressure that doesn't want them to be followers of Jesus. Lest we forget that Jesus, right before he is killed on the cross, makes a proclamation in his trials, which is said like this. They say that you're the king of the Jews. What do you say about that? And he says, you said it. So they're claiming that Jesus is the king. Here's the problem. The Roman government has moved in, and they have a king. And so it's contrary teaching to believe that you could follow after a king Jesus and be under Roman rule. So not only is that, there's the church. The church is losing followers because they're following after this Jesus guy, and they're leaving the temple, and they don't like that either. They, they're trying to interweave their law into Jesus so that they'll hold on to the law more than, than Jesus himself. So all of this pressure is happening in the life of this church, and they're experiencing it deeply. And as we saw in Scripture the last few weeks, we saw that there was plenty of opportunity for them to Charlie Brown out, to just find themselves completely, well, what else are we going to do? Let's just go back to the way things have been. And maybe that's your walk with Jesus. Maybe following Jesus has been costly for you. And at some point, you just kind of said, I don't know if this Jesus guy is worth it. I don't know your experience, but I've met people that have said those words. 
Listen, I started following Jesus, and I thought it'd heal my marriage, and it didn't. Man, I started following this Jesus guy, and I thought it would make me more successful, and it didn't. In fact, just opposite. And listen, if, if you're following Jesus has pluses to it, if you expect Jesus to give you anything else other than himself, you're destined for a Charlie Brown moment. You're destined for this moment where everything else outside of Jesus you've counted on, and Jesus promises you himself. And so when we have all these pluses, Jesus plus, Jesus plus, and those pluses don't add up, what we're really saying is, I need more than a cross and an empty tomb. I need the pluses. And Jesus goes, here's the danger in your walk. When you're searching for pluses instead of a Savior, and instead of a Lord, you're always going to be Charlie Brown in your faith. And so today, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to see this calling up, this, this reconnection that Paul's trying to give these people Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11, it says this, So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without a Messiah, excluded from citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and express regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both God in one body through the cross and put hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and the peace of those who are near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. This is a powerful verse for us, and here's why. I'm going to take a quick poll, and don't be ashamed. I want you to feel full, uh, just uh, maybe encouragement today from your church family. How many of you in this room can absolutely, positively trace your lineage to never be attached to a Gentile? You have been Jewish from birth and completely clean all the way through until today. I none of us. You know why? Jesus changed the story of faith. So I, I want you to be captivated by this thought. Before Jesus, there is a group of people called the Jewish faith. They're God's chosen people. We get that from scripture. He, he proclaims his covenant with them, and, and he carries that covenant throughout history, even in the moments where they really messed it up by not following his way. We call that sin. Anything that's contrary to God's way of a way that our life should follow after is sin. And they messed that up time and time again, but he made a covenant with them. And their covenant was as long as there was a blood covering for their sin. So they would go to the temple and they would offer sacrifices. Not only 
in, in this kind of context of that, but even grain offerings. I mean, they were constantly trying to earn this back. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus comes, God wrapped in flesh, dwelling among us, Emmanuel. And by his blood, he makes a new covenant. He, in fact, he takes the law and he says, all of this is good and it's useful for you. But listen, it can't save you. You can't be good enough. In fact, none of us, even up to this point, has fulfilled the law. We've all broken it. And because of that, Scripture says, because we have a broken covenant, we've broken the law of God, we deserve a punishment. And that punishment, according to Scripture, is a word that we don't even like to talk about. It's death. But it's a step further. Scripture doesn't just say you're going to die, because it says in Scripture that's appointed man wants to be born then to die, and then judgment. This next moment is a separation moment. It's a pushing away of a holy God and an unholy people. Because that, since we've broken the law, since you and I haven't done the way God called us to do, he has to make a plan not only to end this life, but beyond that. There is a describable difference between those that will go to a place called hell and a place called heaven, and it's one word, holy. Only those that are holy will go into the presence of God. Now, here's the, the like little cutout to that. You and I cannot produce holiness. We, on our best, we can produce filthy rags, as Paul has declared. But because of Jesus, he gives us his life in exchange for ours. So that when God sees his people, he sees Jesus. And Jesus is holy. And because of that, those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ can be made holy because of him. So you catch this, that this is exactly what Paul's talking about. He tells them, listen, there was once a time that you were called Gentiles. And, he, and he's telling them, listen, that means those of you that there was no way you could be a part of the covenant of God. Because that was designated for the Jewish people. But Jesus went, listen, I am one of them. Let's not forget that Jesus grew up Jewish. He went to the temple. That's where he was declared. That's where Mary went to show that she was now a mother and could come out in public. Like they were, they were people that followed the law. And Jesus fulfills this law perfectly because he came from amongst them. A Messiah from amongst the people. And so we catch this, that Jesus comes and he declares, even those outside of this covenant can be brought into a new covenant that declares this, there is one people that Jesus has a promise with. It's all who would call upon his name. They can be saved. And that is the new covenant. That is why we can move from just being called, in, being called outsiders into being called sons and daughters of God. You have a path, a plan for you, made by the very blood of Jesus Christ that, that makes a way that you can have not only an eternity with God, but a relationship now with him and can be a part of the covenant that was made long ago that Jesus gave you entrance to. It's an amazing path. It's an amazing way, and it is given freely for you and for me. It is great news. And so as Paul writes us, he goes, remember, you were once called Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcised. That's the law. 
by those that were called the circumcised. Those were people living in the law, which is done by the flesh of human hands. He says at one time you didn't even have a Messiah. You're excluded from citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without a God. We all, listen to this, we all have a one-time story. We all have a once upon a time. And listen, because of that, we all have this moment that we too lived without this relationship with Jesus. And maybe today you came and you don't have an active relationship with Jesus Christ. We believe that faith is not just a future deposit, but a current moment. That you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is real, rich, and meaningful. And it can be life-changing. And we believe you should accept, be a part of that today. You should exhibit that in everything you do. You have entry into a relationship with a Jesus who can change our stories forever. So we all have a one-time story. We all have a past. We all have the scars of years gone by. Times that we didn't do what God called us to. Things that we wish we could apologize for and don't know how. I don't know if that's where you are today. I can just tell you that most of the time in my walk with the Lord, most of the time, when I am in a dark season with Him, it's because I have not dealt with the sin in my life. I, I've convinced myself that I've got it put together enough that I'm okay. And maybe you do this because I, I know I do, so we'll be therapeutic together. That that because I come to church, God's got to, like, give me a pass. Well, I went to church today, God. So, I mean, that's a small sin, but I did go to church, so church is big. Yeah, I didn't stay at home, so 50-50, we traded. That's not how God works. God is in the holiness business. He is not in the equivalent business. We tend to measure our faith by how much faith do we believe we possess that they don't. Well, I look better than Bob does in his walk with the Lord. So clearly I've got it put together, Jesus. And Jesus goes, oh, well, if you want to make that with Bob, if that's how you want to judge yourself, let me just tell you, Bob doesn't have a relationship with me. And so if that's how you want to measure, there's a hell for people like that. But if you want to measure against Jesus, we always have refinement to do. And what's more is this, I have so botched my walk with the Lord over the years. I've done things I wish I wouldn't have, said things I wish I wouldn't have said, acted in ways that just do not show Jesus. And in all of those things, when I say, Lord, do you hear me? He always says yes. He is an open Lord to us. I, I think it's amazing about his character is that he can hear us and loves us in spite of us. Because if I was my Savior, I wouldn't like me very much. I would demand some change. And man, I'm stubborn. Ask April. I'm a stubborn dude. But man, he loves us. This morning we sang a song that says there's power when we worship. This is where our freedom's found. I've discovered that in my walk with the Lord back out of the darkest places I've been, that's been the steps I've had to take. It's just worshiping. Lord, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I can get out. But I know the first step is this. You know everything I need. Step one. Lord, I don't, I don't know how long this is going to take, but I know you got this.
So help me, step two. Lord, you're good in the midst of my darkness. You're good in the midst of my brokenness. Help me, step three. I believe there is no steps out of a dark place that don't have Jesus attached. Because he is light. And what fellowship does light and dark have together? He's the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's a reason why I identify us like that, because we need it so desperately. Here's the other thing, and I love this about Jesus. He makes our now an intimate thing. Wherever you are in your now, he wants to be intimately close to it. He doesn't want you to feel like he's distant. He doesn't want you to feel like he's absent. In your right now, he wants it to be intimate. I think sometimes we believe that God only wants to dwell outside of our darkest places. As though he has to wait until we, we convince him that we can come to him. There is no such thing with God. Think of it in terms of how our history worked. When you see a king, a king allowed you into his presence. It wasn't the other way around. You didn't say, okay, king, I think I've got it put together now. Come to my house. That's not how it works. You went to the king's house. The funny thing about our king is he's always open and he's always present. I think we feel like we have to go on a journey when it comes to the work of God. As though we have to make 18 steps to make it to where he can deal with us. God is in the healing business of hearts. He doesn't need you to heal yourself. He doesn't need you to fix yourself. He doesn't need a good resume or anybody to speak on your behalf. He just wants you to know he's present, and then we need to acknowledge he's there. Lest we forget, it is always through faith. He wants it to be intimate. Your current now is intimate, and through the cross, Jesus made a way of peace. Through the cross, Jesus made a way of peace. So there was no peace laid out before these people. The Ephesians would have gotten it. So they would have seen the church. They would have seen the Jewish race that have said, clearly they know how to touch God, but we don't. So how can we even hope? And they couldn't. There was no promise for them. And because of Jesus, he blew that wide open. You remember the moment where Jesus says he gave up his spirit and he died? What happened in the temple? Y'all remember what happened? The curtain was torn. You remember that? It just rips down the middle. Because on that day, he didn't need a priest anymore. There were no priests that had to intercede on our behalf. There was no need for a Jewish man to lead us anymore. We had the man. We have a great high priest named Jesus who does all the work talking to God on our behalf. We didn't have to go through the ritual. Jesus is the way. We didn't have to abide in the law. We had to abide in Jesus. Let me tell you something I think is interesting. Uh, there's this national pastor, um, preaches a large church, um, influencer of people. He did a series recently where he talked about how the Old Testament is not really needed uh, because it doesn't influence the current church because it was the old law and not the new law. And we have to remember a few things. I want you to be careful in this. There's, there's some semantics in there. It's a longer series than what you just heard, but 
Jesus came not to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Through Jesus, he is the answer of how we live in it. Without him, it's an, it's an impossibility. None of us can fulfill the law. None of us can even hope to touch the Ten Commandments outside of Jesus. Because we're so prone to steal, lie, take. It's what we do. And you know how you can prove this? Watch the news. Our society is incapable of doing what God called them to do outside of his influence. The more we distance ourselves from the presence of God, the more we're going to see the flesh rise. And that's what we see. Riots, hatred, injustice, all happens when Jesus is not at the forefront. Don't ever forget this. Most of the New Testament writings that we see deal with the injustice of people. Why is it so rampant today? We're missing Jesus. We will always see anti-Jesus when we distance ourselves from him. Why is it that we as a church, and I'm not talking just Quill Creek, I'm talking globally, will not engage the heart of Jesus? Because it's not profitable. And y'all want to know the answer, that's it. Because we believe that we need to gain all we can right now. And those that have faith in Jesus store up for themselves treasures in heaven. Why is it that injustice is happening and the church doesn't rise? We don't want to get lost in the wash. But that is exactly where Jesus called his church to be. We should be the people with hurt knuckles and bruised knees, with open hands to a people and say, you belong here. You belong here because without Jesus, we don't. We need to wake up. And that's what Paul's telling them. Wake up. Catch this. Don't get lost again in it. Don't get lost in the fact that there used to be a history, but you're not in it anymore. There's no more separation anymore. Don't get lost in the old teaching anymore. Get lost in the fact that Jesus was enough and he's still enough. And through the cross, he made a way for you. He made a way for us. Jesus knew you when you weren't even searching for him. He knew you. Even when you were just kind of out there going, I don't know about this Jesus guy. He goes, I know you though. I know you. Did you know there's not a person on this planet that's without excuse? Not one. Creation declares there's a God and a maker. I remember hearing that Franklin Graham went uh, to this tribe. They had been working on it for some time and he finally got to go in. And as he's teaching, he sees a man walking from way off. And all of the warriors stood started hitting, uh, you know, their protective armor and started declaring out these curses over him. And, you know, Franklin looks at the, the interpreter and he says, what are they doing? They're, they're telling the guy, if you come any closer, we'll kill you and all of your tribe. And he says, tell them to sit down and be silent. And the man declares it and the tribal leader acknowledges and they all sit down, but they don't take their eyes off the guy. He walks up and as he's walking off, he drops his spear and he takes off his outer armor and he walks up open-handed and he declares something you know he stops about a I don't know a few yards out and he just says something in a native tongue and Franklin looks at the guy and the the man that's the interpreter burst into tears 
And he's going, what's going on? And the tribesmen in the group stand and they take off their armor and they drop their spears and they go and grab him. And they sit him down right in front of Franklin. And Franklin's going, what's going on? The interpreter said, this man was standing in nature and a force told him, there is a man you need to hear talk. Now, y'all can go, uh, you know, that's coincidence. That's, you know, funny fruits. I believe the Spirit of God can do it. And I believe that day, even nature declared there was a God. No one's without excuse. And because of that, God knows us. He crafted us. He knew you. He knew your story. He knows your current story. And he loves you lavishly with his life. I always remember back to hearing a revival preacher talk one time. And he said, it finally hit me one day. That on the cross, as Jesus took on the sins of the world, my sins put him there. That on the cross, he felt my sins payment. And that's exactly what the cross did. It took all the sins you could ever acquire in your lifetime, and it pulled it into the life of Christ. And that day he died on the cross, he paid your sin in full. If you will believe in him, your sins were left long before we existed on a cross at Calvary. And that day when he rose from the dead, he left those sins behind so he could remember them no more, if you'll believe. Do you believe that Jesus can forgive your sins? I believe it. I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful that Jesus can not only forgive my sins, but for, can forget them. And I've discovered this, that in those times where I have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, here's my list of sins. He goes, I don't keep a list. Remember, he keeps no records of wrongs. We keep a lot of lists that the enemy wants us to keep that the Lord has no carbon copies of. He's not holding on to your list. He doesn't care about your list. He cares about how much he could possibly forgive you by the grace of him dying on the cross and raising from the dead to be victorious over your sin so that he could vanquish it. He doesn't want to keep a record of your sin. He wants to keep a record of your name. He says he takes your name and those that trust in Jesus, he puts in the Lamb's book of life. That's the record he keeps. He keeps a record of successes. And you are his greatest success. Those that would trust in Jesus Christ, it becomes a celebration. I don't know how it looks in heaven. I've got the Corinthian version of what it looks like. But I'd like to think it looks a little bit of something like this. All of heaven stands and waits for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. And when it happens, the angels go, strike up the band. And they have a party over heaven. And part of that party is, there's a, a note that's taken. The Lamb's Book of Life opens and they go, there's their name, y'all. And they go, yes! Woo! I mean, there's toe touching. I don't know, there's glitter, because in heaven, glitter doesn't stick to anything. Anyways, they just have a party on your behalf, and then they wait again. Who's next? Who's next? And the party never stops. God loves you so much that he could have left you in the law. He could have, and it still would have been just and right. But he loved you so much that he gave you Jesus so that you can actually fulfill it. And through him, even on your worst of days, he is still your covering of your life. Those in faith are completely 
covered and captured and sealed by the Holy Spirit by God himself. He loves you that much. I heard someone say one day, there's that verse that God will never give you more than you can handle. I always thought that was so interesting because I see it like those moments that we feel dark and depressed and we're, we're, the walls are closing in on us and we're like, Lord, I'm alone. Can you help me? He's right there next to you going, no, I got this, man. Uh, these walls are not really caving in. You're just not listening to my provision. There are no walls, bro. Let go of your list. Let go of your hurts. Let go of your past. I've got you. I've got all of this. We can do this. We're okay. There was a time I was at uh, Dallas Love Field at the airport. And there was this little guy outside of this ice cream place. And I kind of walked past him and I was like, okay, he's there. His parents are inside. And I went and I sat down. A few minutes later, I just watched this kid doing this number. You know, it's that look of, where are my parents? And a security guy walked up and he goes, hey, uh, do you know where your parents are? And he goes, no. He goes, oh, it's okay, man. It's all right. I'm here with you. I've got you. He picked this little kid up and the little kid's ice cream and melted. He goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, you know, security, I've got a child. What's your name, buddy? He said, Mitchell or something like that. He goes, I've got a child named Mitchell. I need his parents at the ice cream place. And he grabs his ice cream cone, and he walks in, and he goes, Mitchell needs a new ice cream cone. And they exchanged it for a good one. He handed it to Mitchell, still holding the little kid. He walked outside the ice cream place, and he just stood there with him. He asked him questions. Mitchell, where do you live? Mitchell, do you have any pets? Mitchell, where are you flying to? A little bit later, there came a frantic mom. Oh, my gosh, Mitchell, how'd you run off? And he goes, I didn't run off, you did which is always what kids say, the jerks. Anyways, and he goes, ma'am, would you stand here for just a minute? I want to finish talking to Mitchell. He said, Mitchell, where are you flying? And Mitchell said it, and he goes, I hope you have a fantastic flight, Mitchell. And hand the little boy to his mother. You know what I thought in that moment? That could have been the worst day of Mitchell's life. But you know what Mitchell left that airport thinking? That all cops were good. You know why? Because one held him and got him a new ice cream. What does the world think about Christianity? You know, they'll, they'll see Jesus through us. And so what are we showing them Jesus looks like? Do we show up and say, hey, I'm with you, I got you. Talk to me about yourself. What if the world started to see Christians as people that showed up in their world? With love. I mean, they, when they show up, they're like, you are crazy different. I've never been around anybody like you. And that was our response to go, thank you, Lord. That's all you, Jesus. Like, that's where I want to be. I want to be found in that. No one looks like you. Why are you so different? That's where I want to be found. As a pastor, can I just tell you what my conversations look like around town? When I sit down from somebody at Chick-fil-A, um, I'll sit there and I'll say, hey, talk to me about yourself. And they'll share their story and, and I'll say something like, where do you go to church? You know what they say next? It's always the same question. Are you a, a pastor? And I never lie. I want to. I was going to be like, no, no, I'm not one of those guys. Are you kidding me? Those guys are jerks. <laughs> 
Why are y'all laughing? Anyways, uh, I always tell them, yeah, I am. And then it's almost as though they go, oh, you have to. I'm still doing it, though. And so should you. And that day when somebody asks you that question, you can say, no, I'm just a Jesus follower. That's going to change our world. It's going to change our world. You can change the world. We're all given this all-access pass to the fullness of God. That's what the scripture tells us. It says that at some point you didn't have any opportunity, but now you have it all. Verse 18, for through him we have, have, we have access by one spirit to the Father. We have access. You have a full access pass to the very nature of God. It is a past that you don't have outside of Jesus that I don't have outside of Jesus. But thank God we have it. Let's, let's dive into it. Next, you are a work in progress being built by God. Those days that the enemy tells you you don't have it together, go, huh, that's okay, I've got a good builder. You don't do the building of your faith. You don't do the building of your walk. God does the building of your walk with you. I am not a builder. I've got to meet architects. I've got to meet people in our church that have built buildings. And they can look at blueprints and know exactly what to do. I look at blueprints and go, I have no clue. You ever been at a building site where they pour the concrete footing? You know, the slab's there. And you walk in it. It's, it's always the same thing. You see the concrete and you go, who's going to live in this? Ants? Like this is the smallest, this is not a house size. If y'all were, I'm telling you, if you've never seen it, that's that moment you're like this, I can't even put a bed in this. Like if I put a bed, that's all that will be in this house. And then they build up the walls. Then you walk into that house and you're like, wow, it's massive. That's just not how I see it. And our side of heaven, as much as we want to be something, let's just go to the builder. He knows what you need, and he will build you up. He's going to successfully put you together the way you're supposed to be. And in the times that we don't, you're going you're gonna to regret it. I regret it. I'm not a handyman by any means, but I know the times I've botched it at my house. And I have to call in the help. Hey, you're going to have to help me, because if you don't, our house is going to explode. And they're like, that's sheetrock. I'm like, I know. But it could happen, I think. Go to the builder. He knows exactly what you need. Here's the last. You house God's presence. Those in faith in Jesus, you house the very presence of God. This is a building. It's a beautiful building. We're grateful to the Lord for it. This is not the house of God. This is the church at Quell Creek. It is a lot of sheetrock and metal and blue carpet. Um, a lot of blue carpet. It is not the presence of God. You house that. That's who you are in faith. Today, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to him so that he could declare you holy? Or today, are you trying to earn holiness? There is no such thing, by the way. You can work yourself to the end of the age and never acquire holiness. 
You can teach a class. You can go to seminary. You can go on mission trips. You can lead big churches, but not have the holiness of God and completely miss heaven and eternity with him. Today, you have to give your life to Jesus. And he has got to exchange it for his and declare you holy. Then he'll start building you correctly, leading you the right way. And in that, you can change the world. Do you know Jesus Christ? If today you don't, I'm going to invite you into a conversation with myself. I'm going to be down here in just a minute. We have a time we call invitation. Our music team will come up. They'll play a song. You're going to see people stand up around you. They're going to be praying, or maybe they'll come down here and kneel and pray together. You're going to see all that movement, so don't be confused. You don't have to move at all. But today, if you would like to know more about how to start that relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to invite you to come talk to me during that time. I'll be down here, Dale, John. We'd love to visit with you about how to start your relationship with Jesus Christ. Today is your day. Today is your day not to fall back into, I've got to do everything to acquire something. Today is the day to fall into Jesus and allow him to do what he's always wanted to do with your life. Pull you out of darkness and into him. Today can be your day. Let me pray for you. Lord in heaven, God, I pray over this time, God, that you'd speak over us. Lord, I believe there's way too many people living that Charlie Brown Christianity. That everything is dark and everything is sad. And God, it's just not what you called us to do. You called us into victory. So God, I pray, Lord, that today we would start a renewed relationship with you that shows that you have all that we need. God, you're sufficient. God, you are rich. God, you love us deeply. And so God, I pray this morning you would lead us into a relationship with you. God, speak over our hearts and God, that we would respond through faith. God, we believe you're going to change our lives. So God, Speak now in this time.